0: I don't know about you, but I'm still a million bucks shy of becoming a millionaire. And we cannot comprehend the vast wealth of some people in the world today. Uh, There's Amazons, Jeff Bezos, but now economists say that Elon Musk of Tesla fame might be the first person to become a trillionaire. How much is that? Well, a trillion is a thousand billion, just as a billion is a thousand million. It's just beyond our imagining for some one person to have so much more than all of us put together, probably more than half the country put together. And many people looked upon Job the same way, 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Job led a very successful life, and he had a big family, but it was in his blood. He was from a great family tree. He was the grandson of Esau. That means that his great-great-grandfather, is Abraham our father in faith and God's promise to Abraham was coming true through all the generations of his family. God had told Abraham when he was 100 and still childless he was still going to become a dad. He would be the father of many nations with descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and so as the generations came to pass each one was more blessed than the one before it and that's why Abraham's great-great-grandson Job well, he has 10 wonderful children, seven sons, and his three daughters were thought to be the most beautiful in the land. He had vast estates and land holdings. And the scripture tells us that Job had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. More than he knew what to do with And yet, as the story goes, and as you recall, Satan believed that if he took all those things away, that he could convince Job to curse God. God, however, was putting his money on Job. He knew this man to be righteous, holy, humble, and he knew that holiness and his faith was not only based in his wealth and blessing, and thus it was, that calamity and catastrophe struck from every side. In an instant, all of his children were dead. All of his land, all of his livestock in ruins, his own health and distress. God left him his wife. That was a good fortune. But in chapter 2, verse 9, she looked at everything that had been destroyed and taken from them, and she blamed him. And she said, curse God and die, and walked off to leave him, scraping his sores. Job was in his darkest hour. Today's first reading sounds more like a suicide note where he said, all is misery. There is no happiness for me. And this would go on and on and on. Job would curse many things, but never God. He would curse the day of his birth. He would curse the day, the womb that bore him, but he would never turn on God. In fact, when Job's wife told him, curse God and die, he said to her, we praise the Lord when things are good. Should we not praise the Lord also when things are bad? The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that was the seed of Job's faith that would sustain him through all those difficulties. So much so that by chapter 19, when still he has nothing, what does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. I believe that I will see God. As this world had disappointed him and let him down and left him in the lurch, he decided it was all passing away anyway, and he figured out what mattered more than his wealth, and that was his faith. And so in his darkest hour, Job set his sights beyond the horizons of this life, on that kingdom that is to come, on that world that is without end. He started looking for the Messiah, the one who would let him leave it all behind and make every darkness light, and make death into new life. 2,000 years before Jesus, Job already said, I know my Redeemer lives. I believe that I will see God. And over those two millennia, expectations among God's chosen people began to grow and to grow and to grow. The more suffering they had to endure, and there was plenty of it, the more their hopes of heaven and a Messiah who would free them and take them there, grew right alongside it. That explains why there were such vastly large crowds following Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Today, we're just hearing from the first chapter of Mark. It's only just begun. And yet Mark tells us in Capernaum on the Sabbath day, not just a select number of people or a few people, but the whole town was gathered at Simon Peter's door because they heard that Jesus was in there. And they weren't going anywhere until they could see him and hear him and touch him and be forgiven by him and healed by him because they had been waiting, they and their ancestors, for these 2,000 years for God to fulfill prophecy, to answer prayer, and to keep his promise to send his son to seek and save the lost. Jesus, he's fully divine, but he's also fully human. Like us, Jesus is capable of feeling hunger, thirst, sadness, sickness, and exhaustion. And these people were already working him to the brink of total collapse. He hopes to catch a little sleep that night, but then he knows he needs to pray. That's the gas for his tank. And so in the pre-dawn darkness, Jesus, who had so little sleep, he leaves everyone else behind hoping that he might spend just a few minutes with the Father to make sure that he was still carrying out the plan just as God the Father intended. But even there, Jesus, trying to catch a little time with his dad, Peter interrupts him and says, Everyone is looking for you. No one went home. Everybody was still waiting there, once again, hoping that the master would teach and preach and heal. And Jesus, he senses the urgency. He knew that from the time he was a baby, his days were numbered, that a king was trying to kill him, and his enemies would not be satisfied until he was murdered. But he also understood the urgency that he only had a thousand days because he's God, he knows everything. He knows when he's going to be murdered and where he's going to be murdered and by whose hand he will be betrayed. And so he intends to use that thousand days to change everything for everyone to make sure that all those people who, like Job, suffered so much in this life, lost everything, would realize that there was something greater in store for all of them, that he was coming to right every wrong, to shine light into every darkness. And that was hope enough for them. And he said, we must go to the other towns. We must let everyone know the kingdom of God has come. The gates of heaven will be opened and everybody can leave this world full of sadness and sickness and disappointment and death behind because the good shepherd has come to gather his lambs into his arms and to carry them home to heavenly rewards." Those who want to join him in that journey have to deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow him, willing like Job to endure whatever suffering we may have to, knowing that no matter how many crosses we bear, no matter how far we must carry them, one day we too can exchange them for the crowns of righteousness. Now let's focus on Peter's mother-in-law. It's the very beginning of Mark. Jesus has just called the fishermen of Galilee to lay down their nets and follow him. And when Peter left everything, that means he must also have had to leave his wife in the care of the early Christian community. Peter was married. This is his wife's mother that is sick with a fever. And what an interesting transformation. As soon as Jesus heals her, even though it's the Sabbath day and he shouldn't be doing work and she shouldn't be doing work, as soon as she's healed, she gets up and waits on everybody in the house. When we're sick, sometimes we like to milk it for an extra day or two to see if we can stay home from work, stay out of school, get someone else to bring us food so we don't have to go make it ourselves. But she's up and she's at it. Why? Because she has had an encounter with Christ. And once we see the face of God, that face that Job so longed to see, well, that makes us disciples and that makes us missionaries And that makes us servants, a disciple, one who follows Jesus, a missionary, one who goes and tells other people about Jesus, a servant. We are the arms of Jesus in this world, reaching out into the places where people feel unloved, untouchable, unclean, and forgotten to let them know, as Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. I will see the face of God. That is the hope of Christians through 2,000 years, through all the persecutions of our early Christian community, through all the wars, the bloodshed, the loss and the devastation of our ancestors, whatever suffering we've had to endure, God is always greater and he has a plan for all of us. And if we go along with him on that adventure, if we're willing to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and go wherever he leads us, then every darkness will be made light just as death will become life.